In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about pantsless cheese-threatening situations, sexy spelunking, time-space fuckery, and the proper way to make tea. In our discussion of Blue Lily, Lily Blue, the third book of The Raven Cycle by Maggie Stiefvater. everybody, welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult books, series, authors, and voice actors that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire, and today we're going to discuss Blue Lily, Lily Blue by Maggie Stiefvater. Standard disclaimer, if you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book, then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. I actually heard breaths in that one. Really? Is it just the new microphone? No, I, 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 I just think you decided not to try and pass out by the end. So, you know. You might be nice. right. <laughs> okay, so we're in the third book of a series. Yes. So it's hard. You... It's hard to have initial thoughts. Well, I'm going to just book. gloss over that. It never happened. And just go straight into background information because oh. I'm sure there's going to be some about this one. Yeah. And I mean, that's the order that we have done everything in for five years anyway so we might as well continue doing it we have an order oh my gosh this is a revelation okay so i read an article uh from barnes and noble about the title of this book because if everyone will notice the title of this one is different than all the others but it's different on purpose. You know, the first one is The Raven Boys, and the second one is The Dream Thieves, and the fourth one is The Raven King. So it's very clearly the whatever the book is about. But this one is called Blue Lily Lily Blue, which is really weird compared to all the rest of them. And the book is kind of weird compared to all the rest of them too. But the reason why, and this is all garbled together from this blog post, and I'm kind of summarizing it, which, you know, shockingly, we're pretty good at. Um, some, some experience. Some experience in summarizing things. Uh, so Maggie Stiefvater's asked, why, why did you call it this? And it's all because of mirrors. And mirrors play a really big part in this book. And there's a lot of scrying and... Blue is actually referred to as a mirror, and there's all sorts of stuff that goes along with it. But then she also likes to write about mirrors, like characters as mirrors, and giving people similar circumstances and similar personalities and similar choices, and then seeing which person takes which path, which one makes, like, which choices make people good and which choices make people bad. And, you know, they're in the exact same situation, so what's what's the difference going to be? So it was fitting to her to give the title a mirror title because it's all about mirrors. Makes sense. It's all mirrors all the time. <laughs> no! It's a nightmare. Does, unless, it's got mis- unless it's got whispers in it, then it's fine. Yeah, that's fine. That's the only. Uh, that's the only way. It's it's okay. Um, that article actually, I want to pull it up again. That article also started out 
with a phobia of mirrors and how she wanted to talk about that in this blog post. But then she didn't like have any real information about it, except for that it's called catoptrophobia. I said that really well. And she was talking about how she wanted to like have statistics on how many people are afraid of mirrors. But then she said it turns out that no one knows how many people suffer from that phobia. And then she made up a number that it's 24% of people. <laughs> so. That's science. It is. It's good science. I appreciate that. I appreciate that science. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Why do phobia names always be like really weird? I don't know. I'm sure there's even a phobia of like words like that as well. Oh, I'm sure there is. Phobias for everything. Phobias. A phobia of phobias. What would that be called? I don't know. Phobia of phobias. Yeah. Phobophobia is the fear of fear. But that's not the fear of phobias. It's the intense fear of being afraid. But that's still not quite the thing. Well, well, that's what a phobia is. It's a fear of something. So... A fear of a fear of a phobias. Yeah. The fear of phobias is phobophobia. I can say it now. Phobophobia. And that's from verywellmind.com and Wikipedia. I love it. Because Wikipedia knows everything. Yes, and it's not at all made up. No. I always always remember the first day at university all those years ago when the lecturer said, if you cite Wikipedia, I'm going to downgrade your paper. Like, look, Wikipedia is a good place to start. Why are we talking about this, by the way? Wikipedia is a good place to start because they have all of these sources. So you read that and you learn about the background stuff and then you go and you actually investigate the sources that they used. And those are your sources that you use, not Wikipedia. Citation chaining. Hey, hey. Um, anyway, let's talk no, about this No, no, my, my work day is ended. I want to talk Over. about books. Let's dive yes. into the summary. Yes, let's please do that. <laughs> also, because warning everyone, this is, you should be used to this by now, as this is the third book in this series. These summaries are long. Ooh, ooh, get you a cup of tea. Not microwaved. We're not there yet, Claire. Mm-hmm. I wonder what the fear of microwave tea is. I don't know. There's also not a fear of wind chimes that I have been able to find. It might not be wind chimes specifically. It might be like bells or tinkly music, tinkly sounds. Oh, did you see it happen? Did you see it? There, the goosebumps are there. It happened. Yes, I, I saw Just the physical revulsion. Okay. Anyway, about a month has passed since Mara Sargent left a note letting her daughter Blue the Grey Man, all the psychics at 300 Foxway, and the Raven Boys know that the Raven King, Glendower, is underground, and so is she. She doesn't know how much time has passed since she went into the cave to search for Artemis, also known as Butternut, because time seems to have stopped. She passes an underground lake and begins to hear a voice calling to her. She knows there are three sleepers underground and that one of them should definitely not be woken. 
While Mara is gone, Persephone continues to teach Adam to control the power bestowed on him by Caves Water using tarot cards and scrying. She thinks that if Mara were with them, Adam would be better able to focus on using the Ley Line's power, but if Mara were there, he wouldn't have to. She almost thinks that Adam would be a good replacement for Mara, but she doesn't want to replace her. She wants to find her. While helping Adam, Persephone realises how young he is and how old she is. She knows there are three sleepers underground and that one of them should definitely not be walking. Blue and Kala, meanwhile, are psychometrically looking for Mara. While touching Mara's pillow with Blue's boosting power, Kala can see her dreams, and in them she sees Mara at an underground lake. Blue asks Kala to touch the scrying bowl between the mirrors that Mara used before going underground. The last time Kala, Persephone, and Mara used mirror magic together, they accidentally made Neve disappear. So Kala's not a fan, but after looking, she knows that there are three sleepers underground and that one of them should definitely not be woken. <laughs> I wish it was easy enough for them like, to big sight and say, not this one. Not this one. Not this one. Not this one. Yeah. <laughs> Later, the Raven Boys and Blue are in Cave's water, about to go into the cave to search for Mara. Matthew and Aurora are there too, but Aurora will always be because she is a dream thing that has been sleeping since Niall Lynch. Ronan's father died, and Ronan correctly thought by bringing his mother to Caveswater, she'd reawaken. Ronan sends Matthew out of Caveswater to keep time for them, since time doesn't seem to follow any rules in the dream place, and Noah offers to go with him. Gansey, Adam, Blue and Ronan put on spelunking equipment, tie themselves together and enter the cave. Gansey tells Ronan to sing to keep time and he chooses a very annoying song because of course he would about squash to sing over and over and over and over while they explore <laughs> thank you for that little dance by the way I thought you would appreciate it <laughs> suddenly Gansey disappears down a hole pulling Adam to the ground Ronan grabs Blue saving her from falling too she lowers herself down to find Gansey, who is panicking over the idea that hornets could be with him in the hole. But even though they know there aren't any, Capeswater could produce them, and dream hornet or not, a sting will kill Gansey. The four work together to convince Caveswater to keep them safe, and soon ravens burst from the hole beneath Gansey and sing a song about the Raven King. That's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> they make their way out of the cave after that because it seems they can go no farther. The next day, Adam goes to a park to attempt to do Caves Water's work, but he doesn't have the $15 entry free. While he's there, he sees in another time that there are others there looking for the Lear Line. A couple of days after this, Gansey, Ronan, Blue and Adam drive in the pig to pick up Roger Mallory at the airport. He's come from the UK to help them figure out the caves and investigate the Lear Line. Unfortunately, he's got a ton of luggage and a service dog with him. So the ride back to Monmouth is dreadful. But on the way, he talks about a flag or drapery that he found on his vacation home. And the flag has Blue's face on it, which... Why? What, what does that mean? <laughs> it's another mystery. <laughs> They've got a whole barrel of mysteries at this point. So what's even more mysterious is the walls of the building where it was found weeping. Oh. Ew. No. Sheesh. Don't don't take anything 
from a place with weeping walls. No. Sheesh. That's not sanitary. No. That night, Blue talks to Persephone, who is knitting extra long sleeves onto a sweater. For whatever reason, because that's just what Persephone does. Persephone's delightful. She is. They talk about Mara going underground to find Butternut, a.k.a. Artemis, a.k.a. Blue's father, even though Mara's got the hots for Mr. Gray. Blue wonders why Mara would have gone looking, but Persephone mentions that maybe they should stop looking for her because maybe she would have asked for help if she needed it. Blue gets upset at this and decides to call Gansey. They talk for just a few minutes and both feel better for it, but also they feel slightly ashamed because they know they shouldn't be feeling the way that they both do. 100% smitten. <laughs> the next year, Gansey, Mallory, the dog and Adam go off in search of another entrance to the cave that they found in Cave's Water. Deciding it doesn't matter where the cave necessarily is as long as it's on the layer line. They find a place on the map that Gansey visited long ago called Cooper's Mountain or Giant's Grave. That definitely sounds promising because in English law, kings were often referred to as giants. So what better place to bury the Raven King? Blue isn't with Gansey on his journey this time because it's her first day of school. She and Noah, who tagged along, has a meeting with the guidance counsellor about college. But, like, does... Any of this even matter anymore? Like, her mom is missing. She spent the last several months looking for a mythical king and realizing that magic is real. Like, what's even the point of school? She has a college picked out, but according to the counselor, in not so many words, it's not a school that she has any chance of getting into. Oh, harsh. As they're talking about safety schools, Noah completely freaks out and kind of explodes. The guidance counselor doesn't even seem to notice. Just like papers and shit flying around the room. Wow. Blue goes to Monmouth Manufacturing after school, but no one else is there, not even Noah. Soon enough, though, Gansey, Mallory and the dog arrive in mid-conversation about Glendower's family and a poet. Mallory asks for tea. And Gansey, to his shame, (laughs) microwaves him a cup. And Claire vomits in terror and disgust. She explodes into rage and papers go flying everywhere and nobody seems to notice. You know when you're so angry about something you're actually fairly calm? <laughs> yes. Um, I feel like that. I feel I am so <laughs> angry that Gansey microwaves water in a cup and has the audacity <laughs> to call it tea that I, I can't be explosive about it I'm just I feel eerily calm I just love it so much because it's one of your least favourite things and it actually happens in a book that we're discussing on the podcast and you just hate it which makes me love it (laughs) two stars and good reads all because of the tea yeah all because of the tea and it's not even like it's once anywho so Gansey 
just get past it. You don't even have, makes a cup of tea. You don't even have to say it anymore. In the kitchen, bathroom, laundry room. Gross. That makes it Blue even followers. worse. Uh, it... Microwaving tea in the bathroom. My microwave is in my utility room. You know that is where the washing is done. It's it, it, I'm, so I can understand the placement of the microwave, but oh, you don't need tea. Just go on. Just persevere. I'm going to move on. Blue follows and they get very close in the small space, which is awkward because they still have, you know, feel feelings for each other that they shouldn't be feeling. After giving Mallory his tea, he brings Blue and catches his attention to Noah, who soon grows to immense proportions, freaks out, and Blue has to essentially pull the plug on him, which is not something she's ever had to do before. It's a powerful bit of magic for someone who typically only boosts others' abilities. Ooh. Ooh. That night, Blue thinks about pulling power away from Noah and how Gansey seemed to be impressed with her. But then she's asked to assist Kala and Persephone in a reading for a mysterious man who looks like a 30-year-old Aglenby student. It doesn't go well at all and ends with the man stealing the Three of Swords card and asking about Mara's whereabouts in an intensely threatening manner. Yikes. School starts for the Raven Boys the next day. In Latin class, Ronan scrolls a dirty joke on the board, because of course he does. But soon enough, the new teacher comes in. If you will recall, the former Latin teacher, Barrington Welk, was Noah's former best friend turned murderer who was trampled to death by magical animals in Caves Water after he and Neve, one of Mora and Blue's psychic relatives, tried unsuccessfully to work the ley line at the end of book one. The new teacher corrects the grammar in Ronan's joke and is kind of standoffish and off-putting. He also seems to be staring at Adam, Ronan and Gansey. He introduces himself as Colin Greenmantle. Uh, oh, oh no. no. Oh no. <laughs> we know that name. But the boys do not. He hired the Grey Man to find the Grey Warren in book Two. Ooh. Dum, oh. dum, dum. Ooh. Ooh. That's scary. Scarifying. I was going to. Scarifying. Oh my gosh. Say that word, but there it is. After school, Green Mantle goes to the farmhouse he has rented with his wife, Piper. Colin and Piper are an interesting couple who don't seem to like each other very much at all until they do. Insert eyebrows and winky faces and kissy sounds. They're both very sharp and painful, but mostly to others. Green Mantle has come to Henrietta and taken the Latin job at Aglenby, mostly just to fuck with the Grey Man for stealing slash not stealing the Grey Warren for him, and Piper got dragged along, though she seems to be taking a shine to the psychic activity in the area. Gansey and Ronan stop by 300 Foxwear that night. The Grey Man is there teaching the psychics how to fight, but they're also drinking Manhattans, so it's unsure how serious they are about fighting. Maybe they're just wasting time because Mara has disappeared and no one knows what to do with her. Gansey asks about Green Mantle and the psychics realise that he's the menacing jerk who came by the night before. 
The grey man seems bothered and reveals to everyone that Green Mantle was his boss who sent him there to retrieve the Grey Warren and is also the one who sent him to kill Ronan's father. Ronan immediately wants to kill him, but the Grey Man warns against it, calling Green Mantle a spider with a web made of murder and destruction, which is a wonderful description. And he offers to discover what he's up to. As this conversation is ending, Persephone chimes in that it's a good thing they've almost found Glendower. Have they? Have they? That's news to everyone. Yeah, that's exciting. <laughs> Even later that night, when Adam gets home from work, he sees he's got a letter about a court date with his abusive father who beat him deaf in one ear. He hides it away, though, which is good, because soon Gansey is there and talking about homework and Green Mantle and Mallory and Ronan disappearing to the barns and them all finding Glendower. Adam plans to use the wish he will get from Glendower to bring Noah back to life, which Gansey thinks is a good idea. As Gansey leaves, Adam thinks about the court date again and how, soon enough, when they wake Glendower, they'll all be kings. The next day, Orla bullies Blue about her not having friends at school and reminds her that the Raven boys aren't really her friends and that they're going to leave her behind as soon as they find Glendower or when they go to college or when they get tired of her. Awful. That is absolutely awful. Luckily, Gansey arrives then and together with Mallory and the dog, they go in search of a cave on Cooper's Mountain. Blue suggests they ask people door to door about the cave and soon enough they find a giant of a man, appropriate for a giant's grave, who guards a cave on his property that he claims is cursed. His name is Jesse Diddley and he's loud and big and just delightful. He takes to Blue, who is so tiny compared to him, almost immediately and because of that he turns them away. He doesn't want them to be affected by the curse. Can I just talk about the audiobook here for a second because Will Patton's Jesse Ditley is one of my most favorite things. And also the text of the book, everything that Jesse Ditley says is written in all caps, which I think is fantastic. And so then that's how Will Patton narrates it and his voice is just so big and it's honky tonk and I just I love Jesse <laughs> After his day at school, Green Mantle comes home carrying cheese and taking off his pants. Green Mantle is Claire? Yes, yes. <laughs> that is how my day goes. I come home, I carry it with cheese and take off my pants. You can't convince me otherwise. <laughs> it's scary true. He calls out to Piper about getting crackers, but she doesn't respond because the gray man is holding her at gunpoint. He asks Green Mantle why they came to Henrietta. For life fuckery, as previously mentioned, but also for the Grey Warren, even though the Grey Man tells him again that it's not a thing. Niall Lynch told Green Mantle about it, so of course he doesn't believe that it's not a thing. Green Mantle gives the Grey Man nine days to decide to either give him the Grey Warren or the life fuckery will begin. 
Throughout this menacing conversation, Green Mantle and Piper nonchalantly eat cheese and crackers. <laughs> Any situation can be improved with the uh, partaking of cheese and crackers. <laughs> Especially if it's threatening. Yeah. And pantsless. Pantsless cheese threatening situations. Pantsless cheese threatening situations is yeah. perhaps the best thing about this book. Or just life in general. Yes. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> really want some cheese and crackers. Now. I know, me too. <laughs> While the cave discovering and cheese eating is happening, Adam is alone at work fixing cars, hating the cooling weather for chapping his hands. Cave's water begins to call to him in an eerie way, creeping him out until he grabs Persephone's tarot cards to help him discover what it wants. The cards show him three sleepers, but Adam already knows them. One to wake, one to definitely not wake, and another one... another one. And then Cave's water shows him a part of the ley line to repair. As soon as he figures it out, the eeriness goes away. But then Adam hears something else. A clicking sound. It's Ronan's white dream monster from the night of Kavinsky's death. And, thank goodness, Ronan is right behind it. He's come to ask Adam to do research about unravelling Greenmantle's evil spiderweb. But Adam's clearly busy with at least seven jobs and school and Caleb's water and his upcoming court date and everything else he does. He's going to do the research, though, because of course he is. Ronan leaves, and later, when Adam finally heads home too... He sees a container of dreamed lotion for his hands in his car from Ronan. Then Amanda erupts into squeeze. <laughs> Blue spends part of her evening bickering with Kala and learns a little more about the three sleepers. She and her friends are meant to wake one, and Mara is meant to not wake another. But still, there's just not much about that third one. Blue then takes the list from the church watch from book one outside to her favorite beech tree to look over it. The gray man is out there too, so she explains what the list of names is, that each person on the list is going to die within the year. And then she finds the name she was looking for. Not Gansey's. We already know about that one. Well, the gray man didn't, but now he does. But another name. Jesse Ditley's. Blue thought his name sounded familiar, and she was right. So Jesse is going to die sometime in the coming year. But is he going to die because the cave is cursed, or because of Blue and her friends, or what? Why? Mm. Just, no. Do not allow it. No. Blue calls Gamzee later that night, so he heads to the privacy of the bathroom, kitchen, laundry room, and they talk about ducks for just a few minutes until Blue hangs up, but they're both completely satisfied with the few moments they spent together chatting. Ronan comes in shortly after, and Gamzee asks him if he's going to kill Green Mantle. No, he's not. He's got a better plan, but he doesn't say what it is. Then he gets a cold hot dog for Chainsaw and shares a new song he's just found with Gamzee. Surprise! It's the squash song again. 
<laughs> Ronan laughs and goes back to his room. And if you are watching this, if you're one of the lucky patrons who can watch our videos, you get to see Amanda dancing the squash one, squash two t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag always be plugging. <laughs> After school the next day, Gansey, Adam, and Ronan have an interaction with another Aglinby student, Henry Cheng, who Gansey kind of has stuff in common with, but not really at the same time. Henry's a decent enough guy, and his family is working on Drone B technology, which is kind of like Gansey in that he could be murdered by bees. See, it's not alike at all, but kind of... Ish... Ronan and Adam leave Gansey and head to the barns. The night before, the Grey Man asked Ronan to dream a Grey Warren to give to Green Mantle, but fuck that. Ronan has another plan. <laughs> Ronan is definitely one of these guys of, you give him a plan, but if he thinks of something better, he's going to do what he wants to of do. Of course. Of course he is. <sighs> Anywho. At the barns, Ronan shows Adam something he's been working on. He's been trying to dream a way to wake up someone else's dream. A way to keep his mother awake outside of Cape's water. And a way to keep Matthew awake if something were to happen to him. Because, surprise, Matthew is a dream creature that Ronan created when he was just three years old. Wow, that's powerful. I know. We had a conversation about this. Was it last book? Or even in... No, it had to have been the last one because Matthew was in that one a lot. And I was like, you don't, don't say anything. Keep it together, Amanda. Keep it together. <laughs> He's a dream. Because we were trying to figure out why Declan was so different. And we were like, well, you know. He's just a loner. He's just a loner on the outside. <laughs> dream creatures all over the place except for Declan. I think I did a really good job not going, what? <laughs> you didn't word vomit at all during that episode. Well done. Golf clap. <laughs> Thank you. So, Rodin shows Adam a couple of things. One is a globe with a piece of cave's water inside, but it doesn't do anything. Another is a blanket of moss. Another is something Rodin keeps wrapped up. They carry the moss and the wrapped thing to one of the dreamed cows that sleeps forever at the barns. Rodin places the moss on it and its pulse quickens, which is amazing. Then he unwraps the wrapped thing, which keeps shifting and is slightly terrifying. It's a dream before it takes shape. Ronan places it in front of the cow and its ears and lips twitch, but still doesn't wake. This is still amazing, though. It's amazing magic, just like everything else at the barns. And it's exactly why Green Mantle can't be given a Grey Warren. Instead, Ronan wants Adam's help in creating a way to frame Green Mantle for an unspeakable crime. No. We've read that book before. This one's better than that one. <laughs> oh, God, yes. <laughs> Even if it does have tea made the wrong way. Yes, I'm still bitter. I'm fuming in the corner. Green Mantle is looking for a way to find and destroy Mora to hurt the Grey Man, but she's disappeared, and he doesn't know what to do. Piper asks him if he read any of the monotonous paperwork he had the Grey Man do while he was looking for the Grey Warren, and he says, no. Why would I do that? Piper read them, 
and learned about the powerfully psychic underground lines and puts two and two together. Mara is a powerful psychic. There's powerful psychic power underground. Ergo, Mara is underground. Math. Piper bought a lot of spelunking equipment, and she and Green Mantle sexily try it out. <laughs> Sexual spelunking. Sexual spelunking. You did not buy that snazzy new microphone to say sexual spelunking. Yes, I no, did. Actually, you probably did. You did. Yes, yeah. I did. The next day, Blue and Noah drive out to Jesse Ditley's to bargain. Blue offers to tidy up Jesse's lawn and plant flowers if he will let them go inside his cave. He agrees, and since he's so giant, refers to Blue as an ant, and it's just adorable. <laughs> Unfortunately, as they're working, Noah starts to go bonkers, destroys some flowers, mirrors Blue, and calls her Blue Lily Lily Blue. I love a title reference. Oh, oh. <laughs> Blue tries to pull the power away from him like she did at Monmouth, but it doesn't work and it gets really creepy. Suddenly, Jesse runs out and shoves a mirror in Noah's face, making him scream and back away. Jesse tells Blue that it's the curse. Oh. Just the curse. Oh, curse it. Curse. It's a curse. It's a curse. Inside Jesse's house, he explains that there is something inside the cave that is cursed, and it's not actually the cave itself, but whatever it is is sleeping, and it kills Ditley's. And really, there's just no way around it. He can't leave to avoid it because... This is his home. Soon enough, an angry Kawa and a worried Gansey come knocking. Blue's been at Jesse's for six hours without telling anyone, and you know, when you're already dealing with one missing person in your family, you don't want to go through it again. Before leaving, Blue and Jesse agree that she and her friends can explore the cave, curse or no curse. Everyone meets up at 300 Foxway and they decide to go into the cave the next day. Blue explains the curse and they talk about the sleepers again and then Blue tells them about the list of names from the Death Watch and that Jesse Ditley's name was on it, meaning he's going to die, which is also probably means that his curse is real. Ronan morbidly admires the list and Adam asks to see it, but Blue quickly lies and says Mora has it. Persephone and Carla raise eyebrows and Adam notices, but no one else seems to. He deduces that one of them is on the list and drags Blue outside with him before he leaves for work. She reluctantly lets him know that it is Gansey who is on the list and he decides that they're going to wish for his life when they meet Glendower. It's a good use of a wish. It is. Blue calls Gansey much later that night to come pick her up. She's in a foul mood about her missing mother and Adam finding about Gansey's name on the list, so she wants to get out of the house. They go for a drive and have another not-kissing makeout session like they did in the last book and decide to never speak of it again. Again. As they drive back home at nearly dawn, they see Henry Cheng broken down on the side of the road. Gansey puts on his Richard Campbell Gansey III voice, which Blue hates, so she's in a snit for the rest of the ride. She tries to call him out, but doesn't do a good job. Luckily, Gansey realizes she's not mad at him, 
about being Richard Campbell Gansey III, but for some other reason. Obviously, it's his impending doom, but she refuses to tell him what's actually wrong. And then Amanda and Claire shout, Communication! That's <laughs> literally what I was thinking. <laughs> Teenagers, man. <sighs> the next day, Gansey, Adam, Ronan and Blue go into the cave. It feels wrong to Gansey, and well, it's because it is. Shortly after the enter, Adam gets mad at Ronan for singing, but he isn't. Then Adam realises that he's hearing whatever he's hearing in his deaf ear. When he realises, Chainsaw opens her beak and starts creepily singing, but it's more like she's just playing the song, not singing herself. When the singing stops, they decide to keep going deeper into the cave, and then they come upon a door with an effigy of Glendower surrounded by ravens. Ronan kicks the door down, which angers Gansey, and then they enter. Inside the room is a tomb with another effigy of Glendower on the lid. They shift the lid off, and instead of a sleeping king they've been searching for, they find a woman, tied, face down. And then she begins to laugh. Oh, it's beautiful! (laughs) The cackling woman gets out of the tomb, bites at Ronan... And then sings a song about kings and queens and crowns and birds that ends with blue lily, lily blue. That's the same thing that Noah said when he went bonkers, which is a pretty clear indicator that this woman, who then proclaims that she is a witch, possessed Noah and Chainsaw too. They take her out of the cave and through Jesse's house. He asks her if she made his walls weep and if she did all the other bad curse stuff to him, and she says she did. So it seems she is his curse, and now he should be free. They then decide to take her to 300 Foxway. (laughs) Where do you take a curse? 300 Foxway. When they arrive, Kala is angry at them for waking the third sleeper, but Persephone has been waiting for her to arrive and gives her the weird long-armed sweater she was working on earlier, and it fits perfectly. They learn that she's called Gwenthian, that it was Artemis, a.k.a. Butternut, a.k.a. Blue's father, who put her into sleep, and that she is Glendower's daughter. Kala sends Ronan and Adam to get supplies for her while they figure out what to do. Because of all the research he's done, Gansey deducts that Gwendolyn is the illegitimate daughter of Glendower and that she was buried in a fake grave of Glendower's to trick grave robbers, which means that Glendower's actual tomb is probably nearby. Yay, convoluted. Wow! (laughs) (laughs) While they're deciding where Gwynthian will stay, Blue has a conversation with Mallory about why he has the dog, and he tells her that he can see auras, which is also why he knows that Gwynthian should stay at 300 Fox Way. Her aura is the same color as Blue's. Blue. Which makes Blue upset about how very obvious her name is. (laughs) It is a bit on the nose, isn't it? Mallory has the dog as a support animal because when he's touched by too many auras, he, for lack of a better word, gets anxious. He then tells Blue he likes Gansey so much because his aura is more neutral and explains the time that they spent together years ago and that finally Gansey just left without a word. 
Gansey enters the room then and explains that he was a coward to leave, but that he doesn't like goodbyes. Adam and Ronan, meanwhile, have gone shopping for supplies for Gwendolyn. And while they're out, they see Piper Greenmantle with some thugs buying a lot of caving supplies. Adam has already begun his research on how they can get rid of Greenmantle, so after the rousing ride through the parking lot and a shopping cart followed by an extravagant crash, they go to the church where Ronan can be alone to dream. Adam insists on staying to help, and together they scry and dream some terrible murders and body parts and other incriminating evidence. When Adam returns to his body from scrying, he sees Ronan dying, back broken and covered in blood. But luckily, that was a replacement Ronan had, had dreamed up to protect himself. The boys watch as fake Ronan dies. Oh. That is terrifying. Oh. Like counselling after that. That's horrible. Oh. Although, two Ronan lynches. <laughs> I love him so much. At Adam's apartment later, his father comes to see him about the upcoming court case, which is definitely not allowed, as Adam definitely has a restraining order. Robert Parrish yells at Adam about the case and how he should just drop it because no judge is ever going to believe that Adam has been abused. And while the yelling continues, Adam drifts away into the protection of Cabeswater. Since he's not speaking or seemingly paying attention, Robert Parrish raises his arm, either to hit Adam, or maybe he already has, and he sees a thorn in his palm. He looks at his son, who is obviously somehow responsible for this, tells him he's going to look like a fool in court, and leaves. Meanwhile, the green mantles are spelunking, but Colin feels uncomfortable as Piper can hear a voice calling to her that he cannot hear. They agree to hire some minions to return with them, but Colin never wants to see a cave again. At 300 Foxway, the psychics have cleaned out Neve's attic room for Gwenthian, but they left the two scrying mirrors that they used to make Neve disappear back in the first book. Gwenthian is kind of settling in, but crazily because she's been in a tomb sleeping but not sleeping for hundreds of years. She eats everything all the time, drags around a vacuum like a pet, which is actually quite delightful, and sings 40% of what she says. I love her. I Basically, she's quirky and off-putting and weird and my hero, but she takes Blue to her attic room and tells her that they're witches and asks if others use Blue to make themselves more powerful. She explains that they are mirrors by asking... When you hold a candle in front of a glass, doesn't it make the room twice bright? So we do. Blue lily, lily blue. Then she pushes blue between the mirrors. Blue expects to disappear like me, but nothing happens to her at all. She's not even reflected in the mirrors because Gwendolyn says, Mirror magic is nothing to mirrors. Interesting. Instead of helping blue understand, Gwendolyn eats mayonnaise. <laughs> Of course she does. I like when they first see Gwynthian carrying around a spoon that has mayonnaise on it. And Blue looks at it and she's like, is that mayonnaise? Is it hair conditioner? And then I just really want her to eat hair conditioner. <laughs> it could be either. We don't know if it's the same spoon with the same substance on. It's true. Maybe she has one spoon with hair conditioner and one spoon with mayonnaise. She's trying the different liquids and she is. stuff in the house. 
The gray man comes to visit and asks Blue if they can go to the cave where Gwynthian came from to see if it will be a good place to hide a body, or at least body parts, because he's been roped into helping Adam and Ronan blackmail Green Mantle. It's not great at Jesse's when they get there. Jesse opens the doorway, blocking the cave, and a huge multi-headed monster comes out. The gray man kills it, and Jesse explains that this has been happening since they took Gwynthian out, and that she was probably holding back the curse and was not actually the curse herself. Now, it's his turn to hold it at bay. The green mantles, meanwhile, are thinking of haunted objects, Colin, and listening to a disembodied humming whilst staring intently into a mirror, Piper. Colin wants to finish what they've started and get the hell out of Henrietta, or just get the hell out of Henrietta. <laughs> Whichever comes first. <laughs> At school the next day, Gansey, Adam, and Vaughan run into Henry Cheng, who is protesting outside of his building, undergoing renovations. Henry is all about school politics, and no one else seems to care much. Henry asks another friend to get him a coffee, and when the friend doesn't, Gansey offers to go to the teacher's lounge and grab one. While he's inside, he hears a tremendous crash and runs back out to see scaffolding has fallen from the roof exactly where his friends were just standing. Ronan and Henry are covered with dust, but Adam is in the centre of the destruction, completely fine and surrounded by a dust and debris-free circle. Adam leans to Gansey and tells him that he didn't even think about it, just imagined being safe, and Capeswater listened. Thank goodness it did. Yes. The next day is Adam's court date with his father. He didn't tell Gansey or Ronan or Blue because he wanted to get this over with on his own, even though they all know about his shitty home life. As the judge calls for the hearing to begin... Gansey and Ronan arrive, impeccably dressed and ready to support Adam. Of course, Gansey is friends with the judge, who asks him if he's found his king. Not yet. Though we don't know the outcome of the hearing, we hope that it goes well and in Adam's favor. And since Gansey is involved, surely it does. Must it has to. Later, Adam takes Noah and Blue to Caves Water's work. As Blue is inside a gas station getting water and getting sleezed on by an old man, Adam thinks about blackmail and green mantle and how everything's probably ready to do that. Noah reads his mind, and it's creepy. On the way, Blue and Adam argue about literally everything, but then Blue turns on a tape that was in the tape deck. It plays the squash song, and Amanda dances. Beautiful beautiful. So she immediately ejects the cassette. It seems Ronan has made Adam a mixtape. They go back to the park from the beginning with $15 this time and head to a little rocky crevice. (laughs) Inside, Adam begins to scry to try to find out how Cabeswater needs his help this time. He learns that there are rocks that need to be aligned in order to strengthen Cabeswater, which then shows Adam images of his friends holding hands and bumping knuckles and picking each other up off the ground, and Adam realizes that Cabeswater isn't the only dream place, and it's stronger when it's connected to others, just like Adam is. 
Adam continues scrying and sees a woman and a man inside a cave near a red door. Something dark calls to him, promising answers. Then a woman calls to him, and then Blue and Noah call to him too, but he doesn't respond. After too long, Blue cuts Adam with her switchblade in order to bring him back to his body. After aligning the stones, Adam realizes that the woman he saw and heard was Mara, and she's still alive. Oh. Adam meets up with Persephone later at a little convenience store that is one of her favorite places. She gives him $3 to get her a sorter, and then they talk about three being an important number and how Persephone thought that Adam could be a good replacement for one of the three psychics if something were to ever happen to one of them. But then she realises that he is very much like her, an outsider. They talk about knowing when they're going to die, and Adam asks if Persephone knew about Gansey's death and says that he's going to use the wish from Glendower to save him. Persephone asks for how long and Adam gets mad at her for being so disconnected from everything. But she gives him three more dollars to get himself a order. When he comes back, Persephone is gone, and it turns out was actually never there. Adam rushes back inside the shop to call 300 Foxway because he knows something is wrong with Persephone after their morose conversation. At 300 Foxway, Adam scries with Calla grounding him and Blue boosting him. He searches for Persephone, and then he, in her voice, calls out for Mora. Wherever Persephone is, she's looking for her. Adam shouts Persephone's name then, and then stops responding, just like he did in the crevice. Kala yells for Blue to cut Adam's power off, so she does, just like she did with Noah. Adam comes back to his body and says that Persephone is in the attic. They rush up there to find her body between the mirrors where Neve disappeared. Persephone is dead. Oh, I hate it. Gansey arrives at 300 Foxway to comfort his friends and declares that they're going back into the cave in Caves Water the next day to find Mora. As Gansey is holding Blue, Gwendolyn comes in the room with more riddles and songs. Then she tells Gansey that he is very similar to her father, Glendower. She suggests if they're looking for Mora, who was looking for Artemis, then they should look for Glendower because Artemis will likely be very close by. She's right there. <laughs> Have they tried the phone book? Green Mantle is greeted later by Adam and Ronan, who present him with an envelope full of evidence of him doing terrible things to children, and tell him to leave Henrietta, or else everything in the envelope will come true. Green Mantle vaguely threatens Adam by providing the address of the trailer he grew up in, but really, he and Ronan are untouchable, and everyone involved in this situation knows it. Green Mantle calls to Piper, and tells her they're leaving, but she refuses and says they're going into a cave to find someone that will make that envelope disappear. Green Mantle is not convinced. <laughs> he doesn't like caves. He does not like caves. <laughs> the Green Mantles plus two thugs go to Jesse Dudley's cave. He's guarding it and refuses to let them pass. Then the Grey Man sneaks up on them. Everyone gets into a tussle and the grey man kills one of the thugs and then Piper shoots Jessie and then points her gun at the grey man. 
green mantle is done with all of this, which is going to make everything in that envelope look exceptionally true now that he's been involved in actual murders. So he leaves while Piper, one thug, and the grey man go into the cave. <laughs> Why is everyone he's good dying? He's a wretched coward as well. He is. He's a wiener bag. But why is everyone good dying? Because it's book three and it's about time. I mean, people have been dying all over the place in all the rest of the books too. Yeah, but didn't care about most of them. It's true. (laughs) And Noah was dead at the beginning. Noah was already dead, so he doesn't count. Yeah. Okay. While all of that murder is happening, poor Jesse, Blue, Gansey, Adam, Ronan, and Gwynthian go into the cave in Caveswater. Adam and Ronan leading because they know that Caveswater won't let them die. They go down the same hole that Gansey fell in, but more carefully this time, thank goodness, and come upon a valley full of animal skeletons, some of them long extinct. It looks like they were frozen in mid-gallop, making everyone think of the ghostly animals that trampled Barrington Welk in book one. They decide that this valley is a test and that they have to wake the creatures in order to continue through the cave. But how are they supposed to wake bones? Gwenthian says the same way one would wake a dreamer. Oh, Oh, clues. Ronan and Adam get to work using Ronan's weird dream thing he created to wake the cows to try to wake the bones. They move rocks to boost the layer line and Blue tries to amplify the power and everyone can feel it, but nothing stirs. Suddenly, Gansey commands the bones to wake up, and they do. The animals begin to stampede towards the opening at the other end of the valley that is shrinking, so Blue suggests they ride the beasts to the opening, but only she and Ronan are able to make it through before it closes. The animals Blue and Ronan ride disappear into a shallow underground lake in the new area they're in. As Blue and Ronan look into the water, they each see things they don't want to see. Ronan sees his dead father, and Blue sees dead Mara, but Ronan reassures her that this isn't real. He knows his father is dead and buried, but Adam just saw Mara in the cave when he scried. Blue remembers what Gwynthian told her, that she's a mirror, and that mirror magic doesn't work on her. And then, the vision of dead Mara vanishes, and Blue is able to walk across the lake. Across the lake, Blue finds a chamber with a red door and she hears a voice calling to her from the other side of it. The voice of the sleeper they're not meant to wake, but she uses her mirror ability to put the voice back on itself. She then finds a man crouched on the ground who looks an awful lot like she does. This man is Artemis, her father. Not far away from him, Blue finds her mother. Both Artemis and Mora struggle with the intense desire to open the door and wake the sleeper beyond now that there are three people in the room since three is a very powerful number. Blue doesn't care at all about that and tries to usher them away from the door after calling back to Ronan to tell him to go back the way they came. Before they can make it very far away, Piper, a thug and the grey man come tumbling through another entrance to the cave. Unfortunately, Piper has come to open the door that Mora and Artemis have been trying so hard not to open. The gray man is tied up, and the whole situation seems pretty terrible. Piper tries to shoo Blue and Mora out, 
But before she goes, Blue asks to hug the gray man goodbye. Piper agrees, disgusted, which is good because Blue takes the opportunity to cut his bonds with her switchblade. He reacts immediately and guns and flashlights and people go everywhere. The gun goes off and Artemis gets shot, not life-threateningly though, he is bleeding, which is good, but what's not good is that somehow Piper ends up with a gun again and it's pointed at Mara. Then, blood from Artemis's wound drips to the floor and runs uphill to the door, mesmerizing everyone. Artemis uses this distraction as an opportunity to knock the gun from Piper's hands. Everyone scrambles after this attack and the cave begins to collapse. As Piper rushes to the door, the grey man bashes her with a rock after first knocking out the thug. Then he ushers Blue, Mara and Artemis out. As they're crawling away, Piper follows and shoots again. The grey man tells Blue to lead the others to safety and somehow the cave completely collapses with Piper on one side and everyone else safe on the other. They make their way out of the cave and meet up with the others. A week later, Gansey, Ronan, Blue and Adam take Mallory to the airport so he and the dog can go back home to the UK and proper tea. Oh, thank goodness. Adam thinks that everything is kind of returning to normal now, or at least as normal as it's going to be. Mara's back home, but Persephone is gone forever, and so is Greenmantle. Adam feels like, after all that has happened, he's finally awake, which makes him wonder if he's the third sleeper that everyone has been talking about. Gwynthian never really slept, after all, so it's possible that he is. Now it's time to find Glendower, the one sleeper that they were meant to wake. Piper comes to in the cavern. Her leg possibly broken, but she's not alone. The thug is still there, barely alive. And there's also a woman with them. She explains that she and Piper will have to open the door and wake the sleeper together in order to get the wish he will grant. They open the door and look into the tomb. They don't see a person. Instead, they see a large insect-like creature, perhaps a hornet. And while the woman, who turns out to be Neve, prepares Piper to rouse the sleeper together... Piper shouts, wake up! Oh! Don't wake that one! That's the one that you weren't supposed to wake up! (sighs) Idiot. Idiot. And on that bombshell... Cliffhanger! (laughs) Cliffhanger! Another one! Do we need to do anything during this cliffhanger, or do we just... Well, I'm going to go make a proper cup of tea using a kettle. I'm absolutely terrified. I'll I'll tell you when we come back. Okay. Cliffhanger! These days, more authors are including mental health content in their books. But do you ever wonder how accurate some of this stuff is? Or... Do you ever read something where you know the author just gets it? I'm Elise. And I'm Priscilla. And we are Novel Feelings, a podcast where we discuss mental health issues in fiction novels. We are psychologists and book lovers, and we have a lot of opinions. So look for Novel Feelings wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to your show. Okay, so do you want to know what I'm terrified that I'm going to eventually get sent? What? A picture 
of you dancing to the squash song in your squash t-shirt right with a microwave in the background heating up a cup of water i just can see it in my brain i'm like let that not be true and the episode picture for this week better not be the book inside of a bloody microwave next to a cup of tea because i will i I will burn down pod bait (laughs) It's not. Don't worry. That's not. That's not what I'm doing. I'm going to do something a little bit more serious. Thank you. Also, my Thank microwave you. is like it's up high above the stove, so it wouldn't be okay. good for angles. And I don't even know if I could dance in front of it and you would see that there's a cup of my of water inside. So maybe in my new house, the microwave is a little bit lower down. So maybe I'll do What I don't appreciate is the fact that there's all these potential <sighs> It's a it's the technicalities of the placement of the microwave that's stopping you from doing it, rather than the absolute wrongness of making a cup of tea in a microwave. And I'm just gonna get it out right now. That's not how you cup of tea, that's not how you do it. Part of my standout moments is the rage, the absolute rage on how you don't make a cup of tea like that. Stop doing it. It's wrong. <laughs> I, but I did enjoy Mallory's quest for a decent cuppa. You know, I, I did enjoy that. And as I was listening to the audiobook, every single time tea was mentioned by Mallory, I bookmarked that section. I was like, yeah, there's a quote. There's a quote. There's a quote. Every single time. And I've even got a picture of a couple of it where it's just rage tea. That's it. That's all I put on. Just as my little note to self. Okay. I love that that's the most important takeaway from this book is yeah. the tea. Yeah. yeah. I need to ask you a question about the tea, by the way. The um, it's American stereotyping and I do not appreciate that either. Okay. So I, I want to ask you which is probably going to intrude on one of your quotes. Um, but there, there's a, they're at Jesse Ditley's and mm. everyone is there. And, you know, Jesse Ditley is a very good host. And he asks, yes. you know, does anybody want anything? Whatever. And Mallory asks, the quote is, Mallory, unhopeful, I don't suppose you have any tea. And Jesse says, do you want Earl Grey or Darjeeling? And Mallory says, oh, sweet heavens. And like he and there's it's described again later as like he's looking at the tea as a man would view a death sentence. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? What viewing tea is the death sentence? Yes. That sounds like a bad thing. But then like, also, but then also, maybe not that. That's that's mixing two of the times. What I really want to know is about the, do you want Earl Grey or Darjeeling? And and his response is, oh sweet heavens, is it oh sweet heavens because oh god no, or oh sweet heavens as in you giant, amazing man you have tea. I read it as the second, you giant amazing man, you have tea and you're likely going to make it with a kettle because if you have options like that, you respect the drink. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. that That's the way I'm reading it because at least that's the way I did. Right. And I assumed because those are like actual proper teas 
Yes. That that it was a good thing, but I was just worried because you know Jesse Ditley going back up to the beginning or not the beginning, but our our discussion. Jesse Ditley is one of my favorite characters in this book, and like I didn't want to, you know, feel any bad ways about him after his passing. No, I, I honestly, I respect Jesse Ditley completely. You know, yeah, he's probably one of my favorites. Actually, now talking about it, because he, he Mallory was on his own quest for his own brew. A, a decent cup of tea the entire time. Yes. And he finally achieved that at Jesse Ditley's. At least that's the way I read it. Yeah. But he also had tea at 300 Fox Way, but that was that was their weird teas, and they make a lot of weird stuff from stuff that they find. So it's while it is actual tea and not microwaved, it's still like weird tea. Yeah, it's, it's like I don't particularly like peppermint tea because it tastes like toothpaste to me sure and i'm not a fan of chamomile tea it doesn't it doesn't i don't particularly enjoy the flavor yeah so it's like saying to someone do you want a cup of tea and you're expecting just a standard breakfast treat tea just a normal brew and so then giving you chamomile and you're like oh this is a disappointment yeah yeah or you know i, I it's, it's like saying to somebody, you know, when you go to the restaurant, they go, oh, can I have a Coke, please? And they go, I'm sorry, I've got Pepsi. Or they oh, off brand. Yeah. And you taste it, it's just not the same. It's not right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of that kind of situation. But finally, Jesse Ditley gives him a proper cup of tea made properly. Yeah. <laughs> he respects the craft. At least that's the way I read it. Okay. Good. That's how I was hoping that it that it was, or at least how you would read it, because of all of the tea disappointments. I like. I wanted you to be happy about the tea. Yeah. And I mean, I, if you if you go, I let you put on the ebook as well. Tea, and you know, getting rid of the insteads and all of that kind of thing. You can track the storyline of Mallory's adventures to get a cup of tea. <laughs> It's very delightful. Yeah. So I did quite enjoy that. He was intensely British. Like, hashtag excessively British. Excessively. Please visit the Red Bubble Shop. Yes. And, like, he was, he, he was, and I, I know I've come across as an absolute tea snob. Oh, definitely. No, no one thinks any neg. No one thinks bad. I, I don't care. Tea snob all the way. But he is exceptionally snobbish to like a class divide. Honestly, you can like see his stiff upper lip, and he's so British. And I, are we like that? Okay. Claire, if you, if you go back and you know, he's listen... Middle, he's middle to upper class. Yes. He's not a regular ter- He's not a regular person. Can I can I just tell you that if you go back and listen to this episode, you're going to track, just like you did with the ebook, the progression of T, and you're going to go, oh, that's me. Oh. Am I going to have some realizations? You might. You might have oh. some harsh self-realizations. I don't think I'm going to do that then. I, I can't cope with that right now. One of my favorite things while we continue this discussion of tea is 
Obviously, I've read this book before, and I read it before you did for the episode. And I sent you, I sent you a text. <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> and it made me think, oh my god, did you already read this? Because I can't remember exactly the wording of it, but I was like, Claire, something terrible that you hate happens in like chapter seven of this book so just get ready for it and you're like does he microwave tea (laughs) (laughs) and then i was was like oh my god he does did you did you already read it and you were like just no i just know you and i know that you would prepare me for that I think I'd already downgraded a star on Goodreads just for that alone. I hadn't even read it yet. It's a shame. It's a shame. (laughs) I remember saying that this one was probably my least favorite of the series. But I still love it so much. I love it. I I think maybe... I'm surprised by that, actually. Well, it's hard to top Ronan. You know, oh, yes. like, and, and so the second book was full of Ronin. So it's obviously automatically my favorite one. And I really like the first one with the introduction to everything that's happening. So, I mean, out of, out of four, they're all very good. I love all of them. But I have yes. to pick one that is my least favorite. And I feel like the first time I read it, I was annoyed by Gwenthian. Okay. Singing all the time. But it's possible that that the first time I read it, I mean, I just read it. I didn't listen to the audiobook. So it could have been that, like, lingering in my head, but then listening to Will Patton do it all. I just love him. I just love him so much. I really... I mean, am I skipping ahead here a bit? No. I really enjoyed Gwenthian. Like her batshit crazy singing along having (laughs) having a vacuum cleaner is like a pet I've got a I don't know if you have this particular brand in um, in America do you have Henry Hoover's um I don't know that they're called Henry Hoover's but I feel like Hoover is a vacuum well it's Hoover is a manufacturer. Vacuum is the item. So it's a hen. It's called a Henry Hoover. I don't actually know. It must be a Hoover. But if you Google it, the they're all vacuums with faces on, and you get the red ones which are domestic, and you get the grey ones which are commercial size, like because I have a Henry Hoover. I have a my Hoover's red and it has its nose is the wire and it's got eyes on it. Um, I even had a little one for my son when he was teeny tiny. So he would follow me doing the vacuuming around the house with his little fake teeny tiny Henry Hoover. Um, it, it's delightfully cute. So I just had this vision of Gwenthian wandering around the house with her vacuum cleaner with this little face on it as Henry Hoover. So Google Henry Hoover and you'll see the pictures and you'll be like, oh, they're adorable. They're also really good vacuum cleaner, by the way. Oh, nice. Um <laughs> So that that was the image in my head, and then just randomly going, oh, what's this? And picking up just random stuff like and wax, fruit, or potpourri, and going, oh, I'll just try some of this. <laughs> oh. 
so yeah, I, I really appreciated her absolute batshit crazy. Yes, she was so crazy. She's a role model, in my opinion. <laughs> I really like... I mean, a lot of my quotes are, are from her. Especially the one where she describes herself as a witch. And... I just, I'm just going to skip down. We're doing everything out of order this time, all the way back to the very beginning of doing, you know, initial thoughts before we did the background info, which is fine. crazy. We've got a crazy town. Yeah, yeah, we have. Um, but she says, Ah, are you afraid? Did you hear that I'm a witch? I have three breasts. I have a tail and horns. I'm a giant down below. Oh, I'd be afraid of me too, young knight. I could get you pregnant. Run, run. She's <laughs> just bad shit. I love her. I adore it. <laughs> Everything she said is gold. Yes. I love it. Everything. She's... she's I have three breasts. I'm a giant down below. It was the, I'll get you pregnant. (laughs) I could get you pregnant. Oh, the horror. (laughs) Delightful. So good. So good. All of the new characters in this one were my favorites. I also really liked Colin and Piper. Because they were awful. They were were horrible. (laughs) Horrible. He was such a wiener bag. He was. she's just... <laughs> she she has uh, unnecessary ambition. Does that is that rude thing to say? Am I anti-feminist by saying that? I don't think so. But it, I think it's because it's in the wrong direction. Like if she actually put her mind to curing cancer, she probably she would probably achieve could, it. But yeah. instead, what she wants the downfall of man or something? Like no, yeah. no. Yeah. Direct it in the right places. <laughs> R.I.P. Persephone, though. R.I.P. Persephone. Yes. Ugh. It's one of these things where you... As a first-time reader, you, you expect it. Especially when she starts thinking about her age. Yes. And she's always such a gentle character. And I don't necessarily think it's just a disposition. It's like she has a, a, a physical frailty as well. Mm-hmm. Like, she's that's very, how she comes across. Yeah, she's very small. She's very wispy. Yeah. She's and barely kind of, there anyway. Yes. And I kind of think that part of her training Adam wasn't just to say, oh, well, he can be part of the three. It's great. It seemed a lot like she was training a replacement. Yeah. So when her... I mean, I will say her death was a surprise... But it also wasn't a surprise. I'm going out of order again. Again, yes. So, fine. yeah, it was devastating, especially at the moment when it's 300 Foxway is completely out of whack yeah. with Mara going and Gwenthian coming in. It's just, just just everything being crazy at that point. That for Stephanie's death probably hit really hard. Yeah. But, I mean, she's taught Adam pretty much everything that she can, I think. And while he's still young compared to her old, old, old age, you know, I think if he has to step into that, he can. But then also there's there's Gwynthian there, too. 
But does she count? Because she's not she's not a psychic because she's like blue. Like she she tells like Mallory tells them that their auras are the same and she tells Blue herself that they're the same, they're mirrors. So does she count? Would she would she be a psychic addition? Because I don't cause think she's, so. Because she's not really a psychic. No, I don't think so. She's just another battery. Yeah. And what's worrying? I mean, I haven't read the fourth one yet, and you know, I don't read the next one until we've discussed, right. so I yeah. I can be spoiler free. What's worrying for me is that we've got Blue and we've got Gwenthian in the same space and it's like having two nuclear reactors potentially two magical nuclear reactors in a very small location yeah that could it explode is that a bad thing don't we'll know just have to wait we'll have to see. see we'll have to see but I did I mean in going back to talking about Persephone and Adam being a replacement, I did enjoy seeing his powers like developing, his abilities coming to the front Mm -hmm. and it's almost like Persephone didn't really need to do anything but just channel it and say well you know you're getting these this this in this situation rather than doing X do Y Mm -hmm. and then it's like just so he knows the correct path to take to be able to effectively use it rather than actually teaching him this is how to walk he can already walk she's just making it more efficient yeah and there's a lot of there's a lot of times where he's scrying or he's he's doing something and he hears like he starts thinking lots of bad things and then he hears persephone's voice telling him like you know you need to be outside of yourself you're thinking of all of these negative things but you need you need to look outside rather than inside quit dwelling on all of this stuff look outside and that'll that will help you solve your problem and that happens a lot in this one yeah she tells him to look outside of himself and she's just teaching him lessons and then she dies yeah adam's story is quite i think out of everybody's story i know you adore Ronan's. I am in I love with Adams Ronan. for me. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think so. I I feel more invested in him as a character than the others. I think so, yeah. I feel like I feel controversial for saying that, but no, I think it's really fitting that you like Adam and I like Ronan. I think it's it's very fitting. I wish Adam would realise that he doesn't put himself in any debt with his friends. Oh, when... like he finally does though. He, he finally gets that in this one after after uh, Gansey and Ronan show up at his hearing without having any knowledge of it at all as far as he knows. And then they just yeah. show up, and they're there, and he's like, "Oh my god, I've been doing this the entire time. Like, I, I feel like, you know, Gansey's giving me stuff out of pity, but he's not. He's just like, oh, here, I have this. You have this because you're my friend. Like, 
Gansey obviously knows that he has a lot of money, and he obviously knows that Adam doesn't have a lot of money, but that's not why he likes Adam. He just likes Adam. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's hard for Adam to get over, but he's been beaten his whole life, so he already feels pretty pathetic about himself. Yeah. So it's hard. It's hard to realize that, oh, I am actually worth something, and people do care about me, and they don't, you know, they don't see me living in a trailer and care about it at all. It doesn't matter. No. No. It, it, it's like, you know, you, you know, if you're going out for, you're going out for coffee with a friend, but you know that person's going through a really shitty time or they're just not financially at the moment in a position to be able to, you know, spend four pounds or whatever it costs in America for a, a barista made coffee. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, no, I'll pick up the tab. I'll pay for it. I'll buy it. What Do you want some cake with it as well? And it's not because I'm expecting you to pay me back. It's because it's, as a friend, I'm supporting you. I, You know, you almost like, oh, well, f- in, the, in the percentages, it's not as an impact. It's not an impact to me. And Adam doesn't get that. He mm. doesn't get that. Gansey realises, I have a bulging bank account. I don't mind picking up the tab because... I'm not picking up the tab to show off. I'm picking up the tab so we can sit and have a coffee together. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad that he starts to get it. Like, the, even the hand cream in the car that Ronan oh. leaves, leaves oh. was so freaking sweet. And that was, like, the beginning for me where he's kind of like, my friends see the noise and they're having to kind of do it quietly. So I can't raise objection about it, yeah. but the it's a caring thing to do. So yes. it's kind of like the beginning of him realizing, hang on, these people don't pity me; they care for me, mm-hmm. and it's been demonstrated so much in all the other books that it's so nice to finally get that. Mm-hmm. But now you know Adam is finally out of his father's house. And that's all he's gotten his entire life. Yes. So I think it's I, I think it's fair for him to take a little while to realize it. Completely, completely, and I'm so happy that he's starting to realize that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And I hope his dad gets thrown in jail and shanked. Ugh, his dad's the worst. He's just the worst. He's just. Um, I I really love that scene where Adam is in the garage working and then he has to do work for Cabe's Water and then Ronan shows up with his kaiju monster. <laughs> <laughs> this is fluffy. Yeah. But I... I just, I really like that. I like, you know, Adam is driving back home from the barns where we learn he's been out there trying to dream a way to keep his brother alive if something happens to him because, surprise, Adam is a dream. I mean, um, Matthew is a dream. So I just love that he's just, he's driving back to Monmouth and it just so happens to go past where Adam is and he just so happens to see his car there and he just so happens to have already had this dreams lotion for his hands like sure Ronan 
sure you just it just it's happenstance you just happen to do all of these things at the exact same time and you just happen to have this lotion that you literally made with your mind you just happen to have it and you put it in his car I love oh, Ronan. So I love it's... Ronan so much. <laughs> oh, and the scene where they're in the church and he's dreaming and he has to do all of these terrible, terrible things. The scarifying situation. Oh, and he dreams himself so Weird. his nightmares can devour him. Like, ah, terrifying. Weird. And Adam, Just... Adam wakes up and like sees him there, and you know his back's all broken and he's covered in blood. Oof, it's terrifying. That's gonna scar a person. That's yeah. just even though even if you know it's a dream, it's not real. It's like it's still scary. You can still poke it, you know. Yeah, like, there's still there's still a substance to the it. The corpse of your friend, right yes. there. Yes. I also appreciate. Do we? Sorry. I also appreciate that Adam, as he's seeing himself as more worthy of being with this group of people, he like he notices Ronan, you know, noticing him, and they like share longing looks and stuff. I just, I just really like it. He like actually thinks, you know, he just wants to say to people, you know wish you could see the way that Ronan is looking at me right now. Because Ronan, like, gorgeously handsome, magically powerful Ronan, could look at anybody like this. And he's looking at me. <laughs> Speaking of sexy situations. Yes. Being pantless and eating cheese. And yes. crackers and terrifying th- situations. Yes. Green mantle. What a wiener bag! He's such a wiener bag. I kind of liked. I, I enjoyed his opening scene, like in the school as the Latin new Latin teacher, and it kind of gives us like Hogwarts vibes. <laughs> it's the teaching position that nobody wants because nobody survives. Right. Who's gonna teach who Latin next year? Freaking needs Latin in these days. It's a very posh private school. Of course the they teach Latin. The only reason they're able to add on all the zeros is because they teach Latin. And that's not helpful unless you're in very specific worlds of academia, in my opinion. But that's just my opinion. What do I know? Yeah. But I do appreciate the dirty joke on the ro- on the, on the board and he corrects it. Yes. And then he turns into an asshole like that. That's gonna that kind of behavior will get the 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 students to be more inclined to like you. Yeah. And then he just turns into an asshole. It's like yeah, no, there's no good. There's no endearing factor. Yeah, here. like if if he hadn't you know been Green Mantle and hired the Gray Man you know to kill Ronan's father and do all of the terrible things, like he would probably be a good teacher. He would be the one that everyone <laughs> likes and get you to turn in your homework on time. Why did you have to be a jerk? Why do you have Who's to be worse, an though? evil spider? <laughs> Who's worse, though, Green Mantle or Piper? Because Green Mantle, yes, he sets it up for the Green Man to murder 
one his father, etc., etc., etc. But at the end of the day, he runs away with his tail between his his legs, mm-hmm. whereas Piper like pulls a gun instead. And I'm like, she seemed to be the, the quiet villain of the piece. Like she's yeah. in the background, eating her cheese all sexily, going in sexy spelunking situations. And then she's the one at the end who pulls the gun, tries to kill everybody, and then wakes up the sleeper she should not be freaking waking up yeah yeah she's obviously the villain this time and he's just a wiener and he's just a wiener bag he's just the wiener bag wiener covered in peanut butter he is Ugh. he's just the the wiener bag covered in peanut butter that she has to ride into town and then she takes over and she even kind of says stuff like that too she's like you always do this we get somewhere and you start doing something and then you get distracted with something else like just finish it for once and then she does (laughs) but she's underground in a cave how's she gonna get out of there is she gonna get out of there and also Neve is there by the way oh I know bombshell Bloody Neve. Neve. She's just down there. Being all stupid self. Yeah. Has she been there since they disappeared her on accident? I would say so. Because, I mean, she was trying to wake the ley line in book one, and then they disappear her, and now she's underground, still you know around caves water i just feel like it just portaled her you know two miles she just the dropped ground. down the hole that's all yeah. that happened open the hole and she just dropped down yeah yeah and she's just down there and time doesn't seem to really work down there so you know has she felt like she's been down there for a thousand years or she's just been down there for a few minutes wait till the fi- she finds out that they got rid of all of our stuff from the attic room <laughs> Oh, she's gonna be pissed. She's gonna be so mad, and that someone else is living in her room. Oh, and then we'll have a fight between Neve and Gwenthian. It'll be vacuum clean as a dawn. Yes, yes, it will be. Love it. I also, God, I feel like there's so many things that I want to talk about in this book that I really, really love. I love. Um, to clarify, this is your least favorite, yeah? Yeah, right. Has it, has it become my most favorite, or just my the most recent one that we've talked about? And also, I feel like you like this one a little bit more, which it's made my favorite one out. Yeah, of them so, so far. it's making like, the conversation last a little bit longer because you actually like a lot more of what happens in this one. And so I don't yeah. just go, okay, stop talking about. Ronan dreaming things. It's fine. I mean, that's not going to stop you talking about Ronan at all. In any conversation about anything. Yes. Right. Um, <laughs> but I love, I love the things that he's creating to try to wake up other dreamers or other dreamed yeah. things. And I really like the idea of the thing that he has to keep hidden like an, the unformed dream and it reminds me of a boggart and you know yes like especially 
in the Harry Potter universe, we don't know what a boggart looks like because it turns into something as soon as you see it. So it's like, this this is what that is, and it's just constantly shifting, and Adam sees it as so many different things. And, like, Ronan is clearly terrified of it because he's got it covered up. And he's he had, like, do you need to go piss before I show you this? And Adam's like, <laughs> no. And he's like, no, I'm serious. Do you need to go to the bathroom first? <laughs> and then he takes it off, and it's just constantly shifting and morphing, and it's it's not anything but it almost wakes up the cow (sighs) how powerful must Ronan be to have dreamed up his little brother at age three at age three so powerful and how much have you how much must Matthew have not liked his older brother to be like I want a baby brother instead yeah poor Declan nobody cares about Declan Nobody likes it. And as a parent, if my child dreamed up a baby sibling, I'd be like, oh shit. Fuck, now I got another one to take care of? That's a nightmare. But, you know, you're a dreamer, so you can just dream everything you need to take care of that kid. Can you dream a nanny? Probably. That's fine. (laughs) That's fine. I I like also that in this one, like, Ronan tries to wake up these things, and all Gansey has to do is tell them to wake up. So that, Gansey clearly has this power that you don't really notice, except for in this one, anytime Gansey said something, you, like, notice everyone looking at him and doing exactly what he says to do, exactly when he says to do it. So obviously he's had this power all along. You just don't realize it until this one. Yeah. That, you know, he says, he says, wake up, just like he says everything else to do. Gansey's been a bit of a non-event until this book. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, Ronan and Adam have been the driving force in terms of, like, the Raven boys for me. Mm-hmm. Like, we know I'm not bothered about Blue. Um... Gansey was a bit of a non-event as well. And Noah, well, Noah's barely been in this one. Noah's well, a ghost. Noah's a ghost. And I appreciate Noah and I do like Noah, so he can be he can he can stay. But until this one, like Gansey just uh, and finally people are starting to have their worth. It's kind of like I feel a little bit cheated that it's taken until book three for me to start appreciating the, some of the characters a little bit more. Mm. Um. Yeah, but I think I'm not really going to go anywhere with that thought, other than I feel a little cheated by yeah. that. But I think there's been enough interesting, weird stuff to pull the story along. So even if you don't love all of the characters very much, like they all end on such good cliffhangers that you just have to pick the next one up. You know, the yeah, first one I... ends with Ronan pulling a telling his friends that he pulled his pet out of his dreams and then Mara disappearing and now this one Piper waking up the sleeper that nobody's supposed to wake what's gonna happen next yeah well that's the whole thing though I mean you can't have everybody being all mystical magical and woo woo interesting 
in book one i mean you could if you really really wanted to but i think the way that the story has been done there's so much information yes there's so much history and myth and lore there's so many characters that you need to drip feed it a lot more than you may have in a different series mm-hmm. a more simplistic series um so i can i think that's part of the reason why as well i appreciate Ganzi now starting to realize his potential adam adam's story seems like it's i see a calming down but mm-hmm. i think it's more that he's found his place yeah um same with blue as well i feel like she's found a place and ronan he knows where what and who he is as well mm-hmm. um so it's it's giving the opportunity for the others to develop and time for them to shine and see what's going on around them that's going to affect them yeah so it's 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 coming together better um and i'm not gonna lie the series has been a bit of a struggle for me mm-hmm. um the first one i listened to ages ago on a, uh, for another you were on a podcast for something else i think when doing a crossover and you're doing the raven boys and have you read it i went no i can't remember there's a reason why i listened to it a couple of years ago but i did and i was like oh it was okay um and even reading again this for for this series of coverage i struggled with the first one so mm-hmm. much struggled with the second one so much but this one i actually i've more actively enjoyed it there's yeah. been a lot more scenes and characters and the developments i've started to go oh actually I'm, you've got this now the hooks are now now in i'm interested more to find out what's going on i'm invested in the characters and i don't want to see certain characters die mm. sorry persephone Sorry, i'll be devastated if anything happens to kala as well i love kala the piece it's just so cranky <laughs> but yeah it's it like you know it's not been my favorite series but i'm starting to really enjoy it and really get into it a lot more and i think it's because everybody's everybody's really respectful for each other mm-hmm. in those terms i didn't like it who was it who was being really mean to blue about saying that the raven boys aren't your friends you're not going to really amount Orla. to anything Orla, Orla. oh yeah. jog on Orla. yeah bitch yeah i like her no and especially what even happened which didn't even make it into the summary but Orla has just recently left the high school that Blue was at, so she still knows people there. And she's like, they're telling me that you're weird because that guy came over and he wanted to talk to you. And she's like, um, he drew a penis on a unicorn on my, like, on my notebook. That, that means he wants to talk to me? Like, No. That's such schoolyard tactics, if that's the case. Yeah. It's like, wanting to talk equals penis? Well, I don't know if you've been on Twitter lately. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Anyway. Um, I think we should probably move on to Would You Rather Now, finally? Yes. Finally? Oh. Finally? I don't know if I want to because this is a disgusting. I love absolutely it. Absolutely vile question. It's so good. And you should be deeply ashamed of yourself for coming up with it. <sighs> okay. Pew, pew. Would you rather? Pew, 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 pew. Please see our red bubble shop. 
we asked on social media, would you rather eat a spoonful of mayonnaise or peanut butter on a cold hot dog? While everybody tries to not vomit, I'll give you some statistics. On Facebook, 64% are eating the peanut butter on a cold hot dog. On Instagram, everybody's taking that spoonful of mayonnaise, as they are on Twitter and TikTok. Just let's go to the comments. Brie on Facebook said it's a family tradition to eat peanut butter and bologna sandwiches. You don't know what bologna is? That's an actual meat. I mean, it's a meat. It's a pile of meat put together. It's the leftovers. It's the hooves. Which is essentially what a hot dog is. Hot. I looked at a can of hot. Yes, we have them in cans in the UK and I looked at the the, the, the ingredients list and it's mostly chicken mm, some of which... them I mean you can you can get them you know some of them are mechanically separated chicken and pork and then you know you can get a full you can get like a full beef hot dog or full beef bologna or whatever it, it comes that way but it's just all the ground up leftovers made into yeah. a tube or rolled out flat which is essentially what a hot dog is, except it's not rolled out flat. Right, and the bologna is. The bologna is the, is, yeah. is rolled out yeah. flat. We might have bologna over here, but it might be something different. I've had I, I, sandwich meat is a weird, weird thing. We have Billy Bear sausages, it, it's which is like bologna where it's sliced really thin, but it, it's like different coloured meats, and it's in the shape of a bear head, which you have as a child. Um, so I'm I'm gonna say it's probably exactly why what you have is. you have a Billy Billy Bear Baloney and you have Harry Hoover vacuums Henry Hoover get it Sorry, right he- Henry Hoover like why I'm gonna take why a picture they, of my Henry Hoover well, why do they and, all and have precious Hoover. names I don't understand because we're British <laughs> we name everything anywho Any- Bree said it's a family tradition to eat peanut butter and bologna sandwiches and what is bologna by a cold by no, it's... What is bologna but a cold hot dog hammered flat? And it's surprisingly tasty. <laughs> Katrina on Facebook says, I like mayonnaise, but not sure I could stomach a spoonful. Emily said, I love putting mayonnaise on my sandwiches, so hand me that spoon. Ugh. No. Annie on Facebook says, love peanut butter. It's great on everything. Except I was recently offered some peanut butter whiskey. It was nasty. Ew. Ew. Cora on Facebook said, gross to both. I feel like a spoonful of mayonnaise would go down a lot faster than a whole cold hot dog with peanut butter going with spoon with spoonful and then puke afterwards. Ugh. Ugh. Constance on Facebook sang us a song. Put the peanut butter on the hot dog and drink it all up. Don't know what song that is. It's all put the put the lime in the coconut and drink it all up. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's it's disgusting when you put peanut butter on a hot dog. Colin on Facebook said, gonna go with the meal. It's not even close to the worst thing I've had in my mouth, and at least it's one and done. The hot dog will take more than one mouthful and frankly tastes disgusting. Snigger. Mm. <laughs> Drew on Facebook is going with mayo because it sounds better of the two. Claire on Facebook, which is not me, I read that so wrong. I was like, why would you eat peanut butter from a hot from a dog? Regardless of its temperature. 
as yeah. in licking off its head. Then we read and was like, oh. Gross. Surprisingly, that's not me. It sounds like it's something I would do. <laughs> Eric Finn on Instagram says, mayo any day, because at least I know what I'm getting into with the flavor of it. L20 Kev on Instagram said, me say mayo, daylight come and we want to go home. Couldn't resist a Beetlejuice reference. <laughs> I knew that song. It's good. And finally, Kendara Blake on Instagram said, why choose one? That looks like lunch. No. <laughs> no. No. Disgusting. So what are you picking? Me and yours. <laughs> For why? I hear you ask whilst you cry. I cannot stand butter, peanut butter. Hate the stuff. It's absolutely disgusting. This is a known fact. I have said this repeatedly on, on, on the podcast. I do not like peanut butter. If you gave me the cold hot dog, I'd schnaffle it down in a second because I quite like cold hot dogs. It doesn't bother me. But at least with the mayonnaise, at the moment, I really like ve- vegan mayonnaise because it's not as eggy. Mm-hmm. Obviously. But I have a jar of very, very delicious garlic mayonnaise in the fridge. So give me that spoon, give me that garlic mayonnaise, and I am going to waffle it down. No. And also I have perinés in the in the fridge, which is like the spicy Nando's, it is actually Nando's, peri-peri-sauced peri, uh, peri, mayonnaise. And give me a spoon and I will gladly eat that. Condiments, don't bother. Peanut butter is the devil's juice. It's the devil's butt juice. Can I eat the mayonnaise on the hot dog? No, because that's well, a I would thing. do it. Take the peanut butter off and give me the mayonnaise and the hot dog. I love that. Mm. Lovely. Shrimp that. I'm I'm going with the peanut butter and the hot dog. And actually, I'm really really upset because we had hot dogs for dinner last week, and I filmed myself with my mother. We split the last hot dog in half, and it had already been cooked, so it's it's kind of not fair because it wasn't a cold hot dog. But still, we split it in half, we slathered it with peanut butter, we toasted it, and then we ate it, and it was gross. But I, I recorded it, and I guess when I hit the record button, like, my finger must have accidentally, like, hit it twice in quick succession, so it didn't... I didn't I didn't get it. I only got the end where I was going. <laughs> but I did send that to Claire. So. Yes. You did you did a science. And you did not enjoy the science. No. Whereas I'm actually actively thinking cuz I haven't had my dinner yet about having a cold hot dog with mayonnaise. And I have both in the kitchen and I'm really tempted. <laughs> Gross. Let's move on. Let's move on, please. Gross. Stop it. Stop it, Claire. Gross. <laughs> You're the one who ate the hot dog with the peanut butter. Okay. Would you rather go into Cabeswater's cave or Jesse Ditley's cave? I'm going to go in Jesse Ditley's cave, but beforehand we're going to have a cup of tea together. I'll have a uh, yeah, data's choice. 
Are you going to have a Darjeeling or an Earl Grey? I would prefer a Darjeeling. Okay. The Grey is nice. <laughs> what are you doing? Um, Plus I might come back with uh, Gwenthian if I go into Jesse Dutty's cave. You might. Which is not a bad thing. No. I'll go armed with my mayonnaise, hot dog and peanut butter. Being pulled along on my Henry Hoover. Yes, please. Um, I think I also want to go... Ooh, no, but wait. No, no. I want to go into Cabe's Waters Cave. But I want to take Adam and Ronan with me. So we'll be safe. Okay. I was going to say I would like to go into Jesse Ditley's because it's less weird, but also Gwynthian is there, like, fucking with everyone's mind the first time they it's go in. It's less weird. Really? <laughs> so that, you know, I was wrong. But anyway, I'm gonna go into Capeswater. I'm gonna go into Capeswater's cave. Also, I just want to go into Capeswater. Fair. That's Next question. Would you rather encounter Noah when he's huge in Monmouth, or when he's mirroring blue at Jesse's? Both are terrifying mm. in their own special ways. Yes. I feel like minus the fact that Blue can pull the plug on Noah in the first instance and cannot in the second one because again it's Gwynthian fucking shit up. I think I want to go with him being large and destroying things because something about him being just weird and then being right here right in your face doing yeah. everything that you do that is, that's creepy yeah I'm gonna go the same huge in mama because when he was at when he was doing that mirroring with blue it wasn't I'd rather be big and disastrous than creepy and genuinely scary yeah and just so so close I think the closeness of it is what is so off-putting for me it's, the invasion of personal space is just it's scary yeah especially when it's your friend and then your yeah. friend is acting weird all of a sudden and you don't know what to do about it it was like a manic episode it was just and he's a ghost what, what, what can you do yeah nothing it's terrifying for the for the listeners (laughs) next question don't worry i'm gonna stand up again and do it while you're answering would you rather listen to ronan's squash song or Gwynthian's Blue Lily Lily Blue song. <laughs> I'm going to say Ronan's squash song just to make you do that dance the entire time that the squash song is on. <laughs> I just wish it actually existed. Yeah. It doesn't. It's not a real song. I wanted yeah. it to be a real song. But it's not. Obviously, I picked the squash song. Obviously. <laughs> it gives me baby shark vibes and I don't like it. 
No, Baby Shark's terrible. I've got that stuck in my head as well, randomly, for some weird reason. Question five. Would you rather have Gansey microwave you a cup of tea or have a cup of tea made with an actual kettle and be able to retain your friend? Obviously, I pick the kettle tea. Obviously, everyone must pick the kettle tea. I am judging you. (laughs) That would be the end of fictional hangover. If I picked Gansey making me microwave tea, you would rage flip the table and quit fictional hangover without a doubt. End call. Not even going to upload my audio file. Never answer my calls again. Never respond to texts. You would just cut me out of your life forever. So, the day you sent me a picture of your electric kettle, I nearly cried. It's just no excuse. I refuse to look at people's random links they send me the, unless they tell me it is not microwaving tea. I, I point blank refuse. If you send me links, I will not look unless it's got that caveat. And it's got to be honest. You've got to be honest. <laughs> Otherwise, my sensibilities. Ooh. Oh, my pearls. <laughs> oh, oh, dear. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Okay. Favorite. We had to end that one on a stupid note. We had to. We had to. So, favorite final thought quote. I have so many, and they're all in the same tone. (laughs) You cannot make tea for love nor money. Okay. Back on the sofa, Mallory viewed the tea as a man would view a death sentence. Mallory left his substandard cup of tea on the pool table and retired with the dog. Mallory, unhopeful, I don't suppose you have any tea. Jessie, do you want Earl Grey or Jarling? Mallory, oh sweet heavens. Oh sweet heavens. And finally, I would love a cup of tea. (laughs) Which is basically me. It is you. And my hubby makes the best cup of tea. I can give you one that is non-tea related, just just for you. I mean, do you I have wasn't to? Talking to I did, I, I'm gonna. I wasn't talking to you, Lynch. I need someone with a soul. Oh. And yes, I did basically go through the book and pluck every single one that had something to do with tea. But I stopped myself from getting every single one. Hmm. Alright. Well, whilst yours are all about tea, I'm sure mine are all about Ronan, so it's fine. It's fair. And then, even if I pulled all that off, if I somehow took something that big out of my dream, it would drain the ley line, possibly making Caveswater disappear again, this time with us in it, sending us all to some never-never land of time-space fuckery that we might never escape from. (laughs) Time-space fuckery! Love some time space fuckery. Me too. Don't be such a shitbag. 
Do you ever consider the possibility that you might be growing up to be an asshole? <laughs> Jesus, shit, Mary, fuck. <laughs> Which is, I believe, the words that come out of Ronan's mouth after Gwynthian tries to bite him. Oh, let's see. And then, uh, let's see what else. Um, oh, this one's Gwynthian. It's very rude to keep a woman bound for any more than two or three or seven generations. Oh, I love that bit. <laughs> if there wasn't so many tea things, I was going to go basically all Gwynthian. Yeah. Oh, mm. I like the way you losers thought Instagram before first aid. Fuck off. <laughs> Ronan was angry. Every one of his emotions that wasn't happiness was anger. <laughs> the only thing more pleasing than seeing Ronan singled out was seeing him singled out and forced to repeatedly sing an Irish jig. <laughs> Any more? Um, oh, I do like Orla saying, I think it's crazy how you're in love with all those Raven boys. That's probably good enough fuck off Ola don't care <laughs> do you um, know every wait. time the w- sorry oh I was just after Adam and Ronan crash the shopping cart and Adam says god god I can feel my teeth I don't know I just really liked that line I can feel my teeth I understand that feeling mm. I do get that I can feel my teeth because sometimes when I really really need to go to the toilet and I finally get the chance to go pee it is an insight into Claire's psyche I can feel the relief of my teeth I'm like oh at last mm. so I get that that you can feel it in your teeth you know every time Ronan says fuckery it just makes me think of our flag means death let's do a fuckery <laughs> um. and I feel really that's really appropriate for Ronan as well yeah I agree. There's a synergy. Anywho. All right. If you liked this, try this. What are you going to suggest this time? Vicious by V.E. Schwab. Okay. Um, one of my, I'm trying, one of my things I'm trying to do is actually go through my books I've been on a shelf for a little while. Mm-hmm. And I've had a V.E. Schwab on my shelf for a couple of years now. So in between podcast books, I'm trying to read these as well and it's not this particular one it's not vicious it's a city of ghosts a ghost book set in edinburgh and everybody knows i was edinburgh right, so but i was having a look at her other books and there's this one and i actually do have the graphic novel i believe of this one as well so there you go actually i think i've got two copies of it because i got a special edition version as well because that's me and it, looked, it sounded interesting and it sounded like it did have some hashtag tenuous links. I haven't read it, but it's a V. Schwab and V. Schwab's are very good. Okay. Victor and Eli started out as college roommates. Brilliant, arrogant, lonely boys who recognised the same sharpness and ambition in each other. In their senior year, a shared research interest in adrenaline near-death experiences and seemingly supernatural events reveals an intriguing possibility that under the right conditions, someone could develop extraordinary abilities. But when their thesis moves from academic to experimental, things go horribly wrong. Ten years later, Victor breaks out of prison, determined to catch up to his old friend, now four, aided by a young girl whose reserved nature obscures a stunning ability. 
Meanwhile, Eli is on a mission to eradicate every other superpower person that he can find, outside from his sidekick, an enigmatic woman with an unbreakable will. Armed with terrible power on both sides, driven by the memory of betrayal and loss, the arch-nemeses have set a course for revenge. But who will be left at the end? There are so many superhero books that I feel like we need to have superheroes as a theme. Oh, hold on. I need to start 2024. I know. Superheroes. Oh, dear me. Anywho, do you have... I realized that another one of my favorite authors, which we've only covered one of her books on the show in the past, um, A.S. King writes yes. very similarly to Maggie Stiefvater and Lainey Taylor, which are all of my favorite like weird, surrealist authors. So, um, so I picked an A.S. King book this time. And this one is called I Crawl Through It. Four talented teenagers are traumatized, coping with grief, surviving date rape, facing the anxiety of standardized tests, and the neglect of self-absorbed adults. And they'll do anything to escape the pressure. They'll even build an invisible helicopter to fly far away to a place where everyone will understand them. Until they learn the only way to escape reality is to face it head on. Oh. So I felt like this one was really hashtag tenuous link as well because it is very surreal. And, you know, there's four teens. There's four teens working together to do weird shit. I like it. It sounds good. Yeah. Do we have a spotlight this week? We do. My new and indie spotlight is a new book. She's not an indie author. Um, It is called The Wishing Pool and Other Stories by Tanana Reeve Du. And there's not a whole lot that I could get about this one uh, from the email that we got trying to market this one to us. Um, Uh It's a collection of short stories. So I'm just going to read this and tell you what it's about. But There's not a lot of details about each story in the collection. But uh, this collection of stories includes offerings of horror science fiction and suspense all genres she wields masterfully from the mysterious magical town of gracetown to the aftermath of a pandemic to the reaches of the far future do's stories all share a sense of dread and fear balanced with heart and hope In some of these stories, the monster is racism itself. Others address the monster within, each set against the supernatural or surreal. All are written with Dew's trademark attention to detail and deeply drawn characters. So there's not a lot of details of, I believe there are five stories in this collection, but they're creepy and they're surreal and it sounds really fantastic. Uh, So it's called The Wishing Pool and other stories and it is on my tbr when it comes out that sounds really good yeah all right so that's it for this episode of fictional hangover i'm amanda and i'm claire join us next time for another twilight book (laughs) oh 
join us next time as we discuss New Moon by Stephanie Meyer. Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise. And become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. Also, don't forget about Vampire Book Club that you can join in on after we read New Moon this month. Woo-woo! You can find us at fictionalhangover.com. Follow us on Instagram at fictionalhangover. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictionalhangover and on Twitter at fictionalhangover, no E-R. If you like this episode, check out our others and be sure to rate, review and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for her music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening.